This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. All right, guys, we got to get right into it because we got some topics for you today. Welcome in the opening kickoff here on this Thursday edition. 694-1055 is the number. I'm Mark Heim. That's Lee Shervanian. We're with you for the next three hours on a little foggy, uh, foggy Thursday morning here. So uh, make sure you're careful out there on the streets of Mobile and Baldwin counties. Good morning. Mark, Mr. Shervania. good morning. The NBA kind of owned the night last night. There was no World Baseball. There was no NCAA Sweet 16. And, of course, you knew the NBA would have some controversy. And there is a really good one that brewed last night. And it involves a local person, Mark. Uh, the official in the middle of all this, Sean Wright, played at Spring Hill, played at Davidson. But we'll get to that in a minute. So Mark Cuban... The uh, owner of the Mavericks, who, yeah, he's had his history with officiating. Uh, he is protesting last night's Dallas loss to Golden State. Now, wrap your head around this. In the history of the NBA, there have been only six successful, <laughs> six in the history of the NBA, successful protests only one in the last 40 years, so good luck, Mark. Good luck <laughs> on thought, that. I thought you were giving us a Chick-fil-A question. No, Name those six. No, no, that's later on, Mark. That's you don't, We'll get to that later on. Okay. Okay, so it's, I know it's a little more difficult on radio, but I heard some people talking about it this morning and try to define what happened. All right, a minute 56 to go in the third quarter, and there is a timeout. Dallas thinks they have the ball. That was the indication they thought it was theirs. But when play resumed, one of the officials, not named Sean Wright, or maybe it was Sean, went over and handed the ball to Golden State. And Dallas had already prepared a play, so they weren't even on that side of the court. If you look at YouTube, they're, they're nowhere near the action. They're, they're all near uh, half court getting ready to inbound the ball. They inbound the ball to Golden State, and <laughs> there's nobody there except Looney, and he gets the easiest dunk in the history of the NBA because yeah. there was nobody there. That's when it all broke out because Dallas thought the ball was theirs. They insinuated. They were told. Later on, and now I'm going to bring Sean Wright into this because he was the official who I guess, being the lead official, is the one that really talked and so forth. And, and of course, it winds up being a two-point game. You knew that would happen, right? That right. Uh, Dallas would lose by two points. And these games are very meaningful now, trying to make the postseason. I mean, there's very little wiggle room between teams, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. So, Sean Wright uh, disputed uh, the, the claim of Mark Cuban and, and basically said that, uh, that, that there was no mistake by the officiating. Cuban says it was a miscommunication. Jason Kidd, the Dallas coach, and I heard an audio with him, Mark, he said that he thought the ball was theirs. He wasn't as animated as Cuban was, at least in his postgame comments. But uh, Sean Wright, 
uh, said that uh, he was satisfied that the officials had, in fact, notified Dallas that the ball belonged to Golden State. Cuban, of course, disputed this. He's protesting. Yeah, so one of the things, and it, it's only, it's Cuban, this is what I love about Cuban, because he just goes on Twitter and calls it like the worst call in NBA history. And that's saying something, right? So uh, the other thing I love about this is that it's a call not at the end of the game, right? It's a call in the third quarter that we're willing to protest the outcome of a game. So I, I love that aspect of it because I'm one that says if it's a foul in the first quarter, it's a foul in the fourth quarter and all that kind of stuff. And we never talk about calls ultimately impacting the outcome of a game that aren't in the last two minutes. And that's in any sport. So I'm, I'm pumped up about this story. But what the officials were saying was that they called the, the they, they, they made the call and then they signaled timeout. And Golden State, what they're saying is, saw the call for the timeout because they, they, they pointed to the other bench, right? So that's where the confusion was. So the question is, do officials or should the officials, when they saw one team on one end and one team on the other end, should they have said, wait a minute, guys, what are we doing here? And then, but Cubans, Cubans, remark on Twitter was that even the officials weren't lined up properly. Like it was clear, like at least one, probably two weren't sure whose ball it was. So at the end of the day, really what should have happened was the referee should have taken an official's timeout and made sure everybody was on the same page. Yeah. And then of course the, 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 the end all to that is the officials don't have to, that's not their job to tell teams were to line true. up. True. That's that, that's that's the other end of it. I'm that, not that, saying that's, that's true. right or wrong. And I don't know if Cuban has a case. Uh, I would hope that none of those people wind up on Shark. What's the name of his show? Shark, Shark Tank? Shark Tank, yeah, because yeah. they're probably not going to win. But um, that's not the only one last night. And I really, I had reached out to Bob Rathman, our good friend, the voice of the Hawks. Uh, gosh, I wish we, and, and I was doing this for Nick's sake. I was really hoping, little did I know, they too, Mark, what you were saying about this is a third quarter. At the end of the T-Wolves win over the Hawks, by one point, Carl Anthony Towns sang two free throws with three point whatever seconds to go, and that was the clincher. But in the ensuing three seconds, uh, the officials after the game admitted they made a mistake. <laughs> it seems to be an everyday occurrence where they should have called a foul on the Minnesota player Prince for fouling Atlanta's Bay going up for an offensive rebound, which I assume, and Nick, you can correct me because I didn't see the game, would, would have sent Bay to the line with a chance to win the game. And, and before you come in here, there's another one too. The Phoenix Suns are irate. Did you see what happened in their game? The Lakers went to the free throw line 46 times. Yeah. The Suns went 22 times, a difference of 21 points in the Lakers' win. But getting back to the uh, Hawks, Nick, I'm assuming that if the foul was called on Bay, because I don't know how many fouls each team had at that point, but it was at the end of the game. Mark, you were referring to the fact, a call at the end of the game, and the official said, yeah, we blew it, that Prince should have been called for a foul. Would that have sent Bay to the line for a chance to win? Yes. Okay. Because there's also a shot attempt. So no matter what the foul count was, he should have went to the line. And then after the game, the refs came out and said that it, that it should have been a foul. 
So technically, if the Hawks were to pull a Mark Cuban, they would probably win, right? They'd have a they'd have a better well, I don't know if they'd win, but they'd certainly have a better chance in Cuban, right? Of 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 getting the uh so three games last night, and like I said, the NBA was pretty much the only game in town last night. And, and like I say, I, I did reach out way before that game to Bob, but he was he said he wasn't getting in until about three o'clock this morning. I don't know why that would be a deterrent, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, and I actually reached out to another NBA person uh, hoping uh, to get some NBA talk. And wouldn't you know, we had three very controversial games uh, that occurred last night. I don't. I, not having seen the Dallas, I've seen it on YouTube, Mark. I don't know. Can can Cube? I don't know if I doubt he'll win this. No, he won't. He won't. Um, again, I think the officials could have handled it differently. But are they like? I think you bring up a good point. Are they required to? Are they required after they make the call to make sure that 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 you're on the right side of the court? I, I don't. I don't think there's any requirement whatsoever. I think it was pretty clear that they they called it one way, then they called a timeout and they and they they motioned to the other bench, uh, and and that's where the confusion was. I don't think they're required to. I think if you're doing your job and trying to keep the peace, I think you do it. But I don't think you're required to at all. No, you're not. And Mark, if I may, I have a, a story on the lighter side, but it caught my eye. So we're getting close to the Major League Baseball season next, uh, well, the 30th, whenever that is next week. I think it's Thursday or something like that. Every team is going to play. So MLB, as you know, they're trying to speed up the pace of the game. And with these new rule changes in spring training, I think they, they say now they've cut 20 to 30 minutes off, you know, some of these games based on what's going on in the sp- exhibition games. But they came out with some new cha- small changes to the pitch clock rules. I'm not going to get into that. But here's the one that caught my eye. That This to me is like, are you serious? New standards will be enforced for bad boys and bad girls. Wrap your head around that. Anybody who's watched games knows that down the foul line, they'll either have a bat boy or bat girl chasing foul balls, and they have uh, balls that are retrieved by the, the youngsters. I say youngsters. Uh, some of them are, are maybe teenagers. Anyway, so those are the ones who quickly retrieve equipment to try to speed up the game. Now, according to the memo, the league is now going to evaluate the performance of bat boys and bat girls and they will ask teams to replace them if their performance is considered substandard. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, yeah, what are you gonna have a stopwatch?" <laughs> and the ball hits hits this, let's say, a foul ball down the left field line, deflects that into the field. So even if the the, the bat girl or the bat boy, whoever, is not running quick enough and doesn't retrieve it in a certain amount of time, they may be fired. Not that yeah. they make any money anyway. Dude, baseball getting serious. You're really? clamping down. What next? You're going to speed up the national anthem? On those child labor laws and Major League Baseball getting after so it. So you're going to speed up the national anthem and like, like that, you know, speed it up and, uh, or, or maybe when, you know, hey, how's this? Instead of wasting time bringing the, uh, the uh, lineup cards to home plate, just just do it like a half an hour. Don't even have them meet at home plate. S- submit digitally prior yeah, to the start right. of the game. Like that. I, Mark, Excuse me. Now you're now you're ragging on the bad boys and bad girls. Boy, can you imagine if let's say now they don't? I don't think they get paid. I mean, they get perks. Like obviously they get into the game, and I don't know like that. I don't. I doubt they get paid or anything. But can you imagine firing a bad girl or a bad boy? 
All right, 614. So, uh, couple of things going on today. Uh, at 630, Pat Nyland's going to join us to talk Alabama. Uh, the uh, Sweet 16 continues or starts up today here. Uh, and we're looking forward to the next two days of basketball. Actually, I guess four days because we go roll right into the Elite Eight. Paul Feinbaum will join us at 7 o'clock. Uh, Mike Dettelier, it's been a minute. He'll join us to talk some Saints, free agents, some NFL at 7.30. Justin Ferguson on Auburn at 8 o'clock. And Mike Rodak will talk uh, Alabama and uh, basketball and potentially football. We have uh, scoreboard traffic and weather coming up. We'll have some Chick-fil-A for a chance to give away some of that. Uh, Lee's got some baseball tickets. So as usual, we are jam-packed. When we come back... Nick Saban's message loud and clear yesterday, right? But there are always conspiracy theorists out there. We'll talk about that. We'll take your phone calls. We're off and running on a Thursday edition right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. This is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. All right, 621, welcome back in. The opening kickoff. You guys can uh, jump in at 694-1055. That's the number. And uh, Mr. Shervanian, sir, uh, Nick Saban. So much talk this week about what Nick Saban said and how he said it and who it was um, pointed at when he made the the comment about uh, there is no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. And people suggesting it was a shot at Nate Oates in the Alabama basketball program. So yesterday, Nick did the unthinkable. He went to Alabama basketball practice, visited with the players, visited with Nate Oates. The Alabama basketball program sent out some photos. He was not asked. There was no statement about why he did what he did or what was said. And so, at least for me, Someone who didn't believe that Nick Saban was out there attacking the basketball program when he made those comments, I felt like confirmed what we already knew. However, there are those who believe that Nick Saban was attacking the Alabama basketball program, and this was nothing more than a ploy by the PR department to try to smooth things over. What say you, Judge Shervanian? Oh, no, don't ask me to arbitrate this. <laughs> I, I told you before, I can't read into his mind. I would say the majority of people that I read, the national media, basically thought that Nick was sending a message uh, and, and basically standing up for the university that we're not going to put up with this. That indeed, there was a message being sent, much like we talk about with his players. I can't, I can't believe, seriously, and, I, and I'm going to take your stance on this. I can't believe that he would purposely go out and, what do they use that term? I don't know what it really means, but shade. Is that the word, shade? Throw shade at? At, at yeah. NATO. Look at you getting down. I, I know. I, I Am I, like, I got a, uh, a new phone. I, I, I'm yeah. changing. I'm, these, these changes You're getting younger life. by the minute, Sheranian. Yeah. Uh, Nick and you are just pulling Benjamin me. Buttons over here. <laughs> so, but, but getting back to your question, <laughs> I actually kind of side with you on this because I can't believe 
what with the Alabama team going into the uh, Sweet 16 that Nick would purposely try to create controversy with Nate Oates knowing that you're going to have press conference after press conference and you know we even heard Trey Wallace on earlier this week and he said yeah I'm going to ask him about it however I do think and this is where I get into this gray area I do think there was a message somehow involved in this I don't know if it came from the PR department but the national media picking up on this felt that this indeed was a ploy to try to indicate that, look, we're tired of this bad publicity. We're, we're, we're not like that. We're above all this. And they used Nick to do it, to send the message. I didn't answer your question per se because I just can't – I don't know who to believe. All right, so what do you guys think? You guys uh... – who do you what now? You're standing by I, your comment. I, I right? don't believe that Nick Saban got out there and said, I'm going to take a shot at Nate Oates originally. I thought he was I thought it was Nick in his own little zone talking about his program. And um, so I'll, I'll stand by that. Now, I don't believe when I when I first saw the pictures come out, I'm like, clearly there's no bad blood here. But there have been others who said that's not the case. They're just trying to uh, they're trying to smooth things over. I, I'm not, and you know me. I generally like. I'm the conspiracy theorist, right? I'm the one that's always thinking uh, not everything is is what it seems. But I just don't get the sense that here here Nick Saban is at the start of spring football, worried about what he said how he said it, or how it impacts somebody else, especially at the university. The only way I see this going down is if we find out later that Miss Terry had something to do with it, right? Because he's not apologizing to anybody or smoothing things over or doing anything unless Miss Terry tells him he needs to do it. There are references. We saw one this week where Patino threw a reference at Calipari. This happens all the time, but I, I just can't imagine throwing something at somebody in your own department who's about ready to embark on a trip to the net, to the Final Four. I Now, look, I, I, I will – let me say this, though. I do believe there's a – if this makes sense, I believe there's a better chance – that someone in the PR department said, hey, why don't you do this photo op? It'll, it'll smooth things over for any perceived slight. I think there's a better chance of that happening than Nick Saban actually going into a press conference earlier this week and saying, you know what? I'm going to take a shot at Nate Oates. Well, I'm so not going to. I'll say this. If, if it did come off as a shot to Nate Oates, I don't think it was intentional. All right. That's fair enough. But I don't think anything would come from the PR because I don't think anybody in the PR department can tell Nick Saban what to do. If anybody there has any control on what he says or does, maybe the AD, I don't know. I, I don't even know if Greg Byrne would, would make he'd – he'd deny it anyway. If I asked him that – now, I've tried to get him on this station for two weeks now. Um, but I, I would say he would probably deny something like that. This would have to come from Nick, or as you said, Miss Terry. Yeah. I think she's the only one who has anything to do with what he does or says or dresses. Um, And they seem genuinely happy in the photos. Like, Brandon Miller looked almost giddy when Saban was talking. Oates had a smile on his face. I mean, I could wow. it have been planned or, or— Come or, on, when you—like, anytime you take a picture, somebody always says, hey, smile. But I've seen your pictures. Well, don't use me as a reference on this because I'm not happy with pictures. But anyway, 
No, I've smiled once in a while. Once in a while. Yeah, I've I had, I've smiled every now and then. But you know how it is. Smile. You're on yeah. camera. You know, yeah. like sure. And then you always get the person that, no matter how many times you take a picture, their eyes are always closed. They're, I have gotten to the point if it's like the only there's time I can get a nap. Yeah. Well, the only time. Uh, I, I would. So here's a little trick for those of you photographers out there. Tell them on three, but actually snap the shot on two and four. Because when some when you say three, there's always that one person that tries tries to keep their eyes open, but winds up closing their eyes or blinking their eyes. It happens every time. It's it's like a it's like an like a muscle reaction to the word three. I'm sure when Alabama in the photos, sure they're told to smile. What are you know, like look, you're going to the sweet sixteen. No, but if you Be really happy. looked at the pictures, it's not like someone's forcing smiles. Yeah, I, I don't they look like they're genuinely in, I mean, what do you think? Conspiracy theory, Nick? You think you think they just did this to as a photo op to smooth things over? Yes, I think it was a photo op to smooth things over, but also yes, I think they probably just genuinely like each other and were uh, smiling naturally, much like I do every morning with you two. As you can tell by my genuine tone. It's <laughs> ah, good stuff. Okay. Excellent. Thank you for that dynamite drop in. By the way, there was nothing. I was watching Major League last night. It was on. You were talking about no sports. I count that as a sport. Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes. Patton Island's next. We're talking basketball. Did the Indians win? The Indians win. The Indians win. Oh, oh I mean, my sorry. God. The, the Guardians win. They're going to have to change that to the Guardians Don't now. Don't reboot it. Unlikely. Patton Island next. So I don't I know San Diego State's defense is elite. That's what I've been told by our staff. You know, and Furman's a really good team and they shut Furman out. So we're gonna have to spend a lot of time prepping for them. We'll spend a lot of time tomorrow. The players will be off tomorrow. All right, 6.33 here on a Thursday. That's the voice of Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates. Do you see where, uh, before we get to uh, Patton Island, two of his assistants are now leaving for the Sun Belt? I did. Earlier, I say earlier, meaning last week, uh, Henry, he's going to coach Georgia Southern. Now, of course, this is going to take place after after the uh, NCAA tournament. And then another coach, Hodgkins, is leaving to coach Arkansas State and Mark what I found interesting about that I did not know there was a you you mentioned about Alabama and the PR department do you remember Jeff Puritan I do I did not know he was the athletic director at Arkansas State and I also remember when I used to talk to Jeff when I'd ask him questions about getting in touch with uh, Nick Saban he'd always say look I have nothing to do with that get in touch with somebody else so he was removed from that but he, he oversaw the basketball operations maybe that's somebody that pat nyland knew when pat was up there with the alabama basketball program pat good morning how are you today good morning mark good morning lee how are we doing pretty good were you familiar with any of these assistant coaches that are leaving absolutely um brian Hodgson and charlie henry were on staff my my second year up there with with so I, I worked closely with them. I worked very closely with Charlie. He's the, the defensive side of the ball. So that I worked with him on that. Should mention, Great guys. Should mention that Pat's getting ready for basketball practice at 7. 7? Yeah. yeah. Our, our, our developmental team goes bright and early at 7 a.m. 
Man, it's for what? Can't y'all push it to like lunch or something? Man, rigid, rigid class schedule here at Spring Hill, but we make it work. We make it work. These kids are driven, so they don't have a problem getting up bright and early. What about coaches getting up bright and early? You know, I, I've I've adjusted to being a morning person as I've gotten older. Yeah, and you and me both. And <laughs> you and me both. Pat, let's get to the uh, nitty-gritty. Uh, Alabama takes the floor for the 530 uh, tip-off, San Diego State. If you were coaching against Alabama, what kind of scheme would you come up with? Well, it's always kind of the same song and dance in the general sense. Slow them down, make them play in the half court. You know, Alabama scores a very efficient rate, 1.3 points per 1.4 points per possession in transition, which is highly efficient. Um, when you get them in the half court, that drops to about one point or point nine seven, and that's you can you can be competitive with that. And and San Diego State plays a slower style of ball, um, but then you're going to have to key in on players. Javon Quinterly, I think, has been the key for them this postseason run so far. If you include the last ten games, he's averaging twelve points, four assists a game, and he just really creates. So I think you've got to be really physical with him, limit his paint touches on drives. And then, and then limit them to one shot. They're going to grab close to 40 rebounds a game um, in total. That's that's a significant significant area I think San Diego State's got to dominate. So when we hear this hype about San Diego State being a really good defensive team, is it just because their scores are so low because they hold the ball for a while? Because I've seen that, and I've been privy to programs. Oh, they're a really good defensive team. I'm like, yeah, but that's because they don't shoot for 30 seconds and the scores are so low. It doesn't necessarily indicate to me they're a great defensive team. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's part of it. They do play at a slower play, pace, like Virginia. Virginia plays very slow, so you're always going to see um, their points per, per game given up be a very low number. Um, San Diego State defensively, um, I was just looking at, I think it's, they're at .84 points per possession um, defensively, which is very efficient. Um, but you look at that compared to Alabama, Alabama only gives up 0.78 points per possession. So if you compare the two just based off the analytics, Alabama's a uh, more more efficient defensive team. They're giving up less points per possession, playing at a faster pace. Um, so I think it's going to be where you're going to see can San Diego State compete is, is in the size category. Alabama's going to have lineups and rosters out there throughout the game where they're Six five at the point guard spot and are taller at every other position. So they're able to clog the lane defensively, make it really tough to drive in there and create. And San Diego State doesn't necessarily have that height. Uh, Lamont Butler is six two, um, and then Matt Bradley, who's their leading scorer, I believe, is only six four. So they're not going to have that size advantage um, nearly at any position compared to what Alabama is going to have. Aside from Alabama, what team have you been most impressed with, or? team you're looking forward to seeing play in the Sweet 16? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of good teams right now. I, I, I like Connecticut. I have them going deep. I mean, and you think about it. I believe it's three of the five teams that have beaten Alabama this year are still in the tournament. Um, you have Gonzaga, you've got uh, UConn, um, and then I forget who else, but there's still some really good teams. UCLA is another one. I think this UCLA-Gonzaga game today is going to be a winner of that, you could look at it feasibly and go, there's a real chance either of those teams goes and makes the run to the finals. 
All right, this is a sidebar. This is on the lighter side. If you were still coaching, well, being a part of the coaching staff in a sense, or being a part of the program with Nate Oates when you were up there, was it your mm-hmm. job to keep track of the fouls? <laughs> it was not. My job was to get play calls. So I sat at the very, I guess you would say, the front end of the bench closest to the scores table. And when I was GA, my job was to look over at the other team's bench every time they got an offense and see if I could get a play call from them. So that, that, was, that was my job. So whose job? And which, again, is very, which is very hard in a 15,000. You know, you're up in Knoxville, and there's 20,000 people there screaming Rocky Top. It's a little hard to get play calls. So what do you do, read lips? Yeah, you get really good at reading lips. You get hand signals. You get any cue that you think will give you an idea of what they're running. You just write it down. And what happens if you get it wrong or don't get it at all? What's what? How, how do you do? You get rep, would you would you hypothetically have gotten reprimanded in mid in middle of the game? Not necessarily middle of the game, um, but you better do you better do your job. Whether it's before the game or say you're playing them again for the second time, you're reviewing the film in it. And I, speaking of Charlie Henry, one of his things was. Hey, throw on your AirPods and you listen to the games as much as you watch them because you can hear their coaches call it sometimes, especially if it's an early season game at an empty gym, things like that. You can hear So he was, as much as watching it, listen, if you can hear a play call all from the film. Who is, during a game, who is Nate Oates, let's say, tougher on, the players or the coaches, assistant coaches? Uh, I'd say the players. I'd say the players. He was... Nate ran a really good operation up there. I mean, he gave the coaches freedom to give ideas and was really receptive to them. Um, you know, he'd hold them accountable for various things, this, that, or the other. But also at the same time, he was very tough on the players. And tough by tough, I mean, he was always pushing them to work harder, to get into the gym more, to do extra. Because his understanding of you've got to be able to make shots to create space Um and if you're going to outwork people, you better be outworking everybody to trigger the play. There's no sense in cutting corners. Pat Nyland, our guest here on WNSP. So we talk about Alabama and San Diego State, and San Diego State wants to slow things down. Alabama wants to pick up the pace. Generally speaking, isn't it easier to pick up the pace than it is to try to slow somebody down? Yeah, because for you to slow somebody down, you've got to be hitting shots because – Bama's going to run off turnovers. Bama's going to run off missed shots. Heck, Bama's going to run off made shots. Yeah. So so what you have to do is you have to be able to kill clock offensively, have a good some sort of emotion offense that you can get into the last 12 seconds of the shot clock and then get a good shot from there. And then and this is the tricky part because you want to give yourself an opportunity to get offensive rebounds. But if I'm playing against Alabama, I'm probably getting two back. Right. Maybe. And, and, and if – you have the personnel to do it. Now, you can look at the Houston games, and they've all been very close, right? Houston sends five to the glass offensively. They're not really getting anybody back. So because Bama wants to run, they may only send two, three defensive players to go get that defensive rebound. Right. Well, then it becomes a numbers game. If, if San Diego State sends four, well, now you get that offensive rebound, you get to kill another 25 seconds. And so there's different ways you can do it now. The easiest way, it's hard to say because regardless of whatever team has done, Bama gets up and runs. Right. Off makes off misses, off turnovers. And back to your earlier point, uh, trying to trying to 
kill some of that shot clock, so you got to get into some type of motion offense, but that's even more difficult to do because of Alabama's length. Exactly. They're going to keep you to one side of the court. They're going to limit your paint touches. I mean, they're just they're so long and athletic, pretty much one through five a lot of the time. I think that's been a real key to, to their defensive success this year. Obviously, you have some guys in that have been in it for a year or two now, so they have a good understanding of the system. But when you have that kind of size and athleticism, one through five, you can switch one through four. Um, and then typically I, I, they're hard hedging side pick and rolls. They're, they're catching middle pick and rolls. Charles Bediaco has been a great rim protector for them. It's their, their, defense is, their defense has been obviously very critical for their success this year. We know they can score. But we also know Alabama. You've seen it the last two or three years. They're going to have games where they don't make shots. And this year, the defense has, has held them up in games where they haven't hit shots. Pat Nyland, who's the assistant basketball coach at Spring Hill. In fact, he's getting ready for his own JV practice sessions now and former grad assistant at Alabama. So let me ask you this. you got San Diego State Friday. Uh, the winner advances to take on either Creighton or Princeton. Of those three teams, which of those three do you think would be the more difficult for Alabama? Ooh, I, I think Creighton. I mean, Creighton's old. They're experienced, but they've got, you know, uh, couple of young guards um the Nimhart kid is really good but they can really shoot the ball and that's what a team's got to be able to, to compete with Alabama on on either side and if if Creighton can get hot and get rolling hitting shots I mean it can be a game but you never know I mean hell Princeton I didn't have them coming out of the first round granted I watched their Ivy League final and they looked really good so it's it's a toss-up I just I don't see anybody beating Alabama until maybe we get to the Final Four. I just I think they're playing great basketball right now, and they've got and the big thing they're healthy. <laughs> this time of year, that's the most critical thing you can be is healthy, and that's what they are. All right, so I'm having a little bit of a discussion in our app right now with, about something that you just said uh, uh, with your jo- with your job at Alabama. That someone in the app said so. Basically, your job is to steal signs, but essentially that's what basketball. That's what basketball benches do, right? I mean, there's always a guy on the bench at any level that is waiting to see what the other team calls so that you can counter it. Absolutely. I mean, and you do so much scouting and preparation going into it, and you have so many connections around the basketball world. You know, say we're going to play San Diego State today. Well, if I'm on staff, I'm calling Eric Olin, a former Spring Hill College basketball player who coaches the head coach at UC San Diego, and I'm going to go, Hey, you guys play these guys? You scrimmage them? Do you have play calls? You know, do you have this, that, and the other? And so everybody's constantly sharing that information. So I would say, yeah, it is stealing signs in a sense, but stealing I think puts a negative connotation on it. I just think you're studying a team live. So I mean, some teams hold up whiteboards with the play call on it. (laughs) You're not really hiding. You're not really stealing. All right, welcome back in. 6.54 here. We're wrapping up hour number one. Guys, uh, if you're thinking about retiring, and uh, as most of us are this early in the morning, <laughs> uh, I got something Harry, you need to know. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, uh, if, you're, if you're over 65 or you, actually if you're within a year retiring, you really need to start looking at, uh, at Medicare and some of the benefits of Medicare. What are those benefits? 
Well, that's a great question, and that's one that Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors can answer for you. He's been in that uh, area of expertise for more than 13 years. He's an independent agent. There's never a fee for his services. He's not selling you Medicare. All right, let's make that very clear. He's not selling you insurance. What he is doing is giving you the best information, up-to-date information, so that you can make the most educated decisions. For, exa- uh, for example, so uh, he had a client call asking if he needed Medicare uh, to go with his VA benefits. And long story short, in his specific situation, the answer was no, he didn't need it. But that may not always be the case. So the only way to find out if it uh, if it works for you is to give Aiden Marks a call. 463-0031. He's 463-0031. Give him a call. Or you can go by and see him at his office in Daphne on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors. Give him a call. Heard the end of the uh, Nick played the end of the clip of the T Wolves win again. Very controversial in that a foul was not called on the T Wolves. Uh, Torian Prince, uh, who really did foul Bay, would have given Atlanta a chance to win the game. And the officiating, the head, whoever the head of the officials was for that game, did come out and say, "Yeah, we blew it." Yeah, um, and I've said for years, and I will continue to say that as, as on the wrong end of those games when an official comes out and admits it it doesn't ha- it doesn't make me feel any better all right you being a co- how would you feel and I, I, as the uh, coach for phoenix lakers go to the free throw line 46 times my team goes 20 oh i'd be livid i'd be livid and they want they had 21 more free throws made and of course yeah. they wind up being phoenix how does that happen though that you have that i i'm i don't know i mean i didn't see the game I could understand a coach being very frustrated over that, though. Uh, I mean, how could it happen? Well, one, I think one of my biggest gripes with officials is, you know, you hear people say you want it called consistently. That's all you want is consistency. But also officiating teams inside their teams could be calling it differently. So the guy on one end could be calling it tight while the guy on the other end may not be. And so that's one of my issues. I've had I've had games where. Uh, that's happened. I mean, I've been on the wrong end of games where guys have shot way more free throws than us. And so when when we talk about consistency, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, yeah, from day to day, you want the officiating to be consistent. But you also, if it's going to be a bloodbath on one end, then it's got to be a bloodbath on the other. But if you're going to call tic-tac on one end, it's got to be tic-tac on the other. And sometimes those guys aren't always on the same page for whatever reason. Now, picking up on what Pat Nyland said about picking up on plays with the other team. I thought I heard you say that happens in high school. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Who's, whose job is it to – I mean, they don't have that many coaches. No. Not I mean, like they do in college. No, it's usually a coach or an assistant coach. Like, we, like, I know my son played a game in a tournament against a team locally who – their coach, every time we called out a play, he knew exactly what it was. He told them what was coming, how – he was screaming his guys. So, like, I'll use the word, I'll use flex because everybody runs flex. So, if, if our guy called flex, he was like, okay, watch him cut and he's coming across. Boom. Like, he was, watch the up screen, watch the back screen, here comes the flex. Like, whatever it was, he was calling it. Is that considered stealing if you could hear the coach say it? It's only, uh, I, I don't. I mean, high school gyms like- aren't. Packed right, but to the point where I mean, some are. Don't get me wrong, but this was in a tournament over the holidays, so there weren't hardly. I mean, in the middle of the day. Why do we see like in sports now? You see over on the, the NFL sideline where you know, the coach has got his mouth uh, covered up by a, a 
plaque or whatever. And, and you know, they're, they're all worried about stealing signs or somebody taking a sign away or something. Or when they go into the, you know, you ever know with the pictures now, they keep it yeah. over their mouth. Well, it's a lot easier to hit a curveball if you know it's coming. Yeah, it is. So. It's a lot easier to defend a play if you know but what I set don't, they're in. I don't blame teams for trying to gain an advantage. It's been going on forever. Do you have a problem with the Astros doing what they did? Well, they apparently went above and beyond because I think there was a rule you can't use electronics. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, that that if, if, if so it's you actually have a problem out, with what they did, you just had a problem with which they did it. Well, they broke a rule. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if there's no rules about stealing signs, but they actually went above and beyond. It's unwritten, Lee. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Seven oh four, hour number two here on a Thursday. Thanks for uh, hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff. All right, it's time. Thursday, you know what that means. We bring in uh, ESPN, SEC's TV radio broadcaster and a good friend of this station, Mr. Paul Feinbaum. Paul, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Lee, we're doing great. Thank you. Your uh, bracket still intact with your final four? Uh, I'm about a week. Uh, I'm a week out of the tournament, like uh, you, Mark, and every <laughs> single person listening. <laughs> so... I could ask you surprises, things like that. I'm going to zero in on Kentucky. Your thoughts on the Wildcats and John Calipari? I felt Kentucky needed to at least get to the Sweet 16 to to salvage the season, and, and they did not. And it doesn't matter that they have the number one recruiting class coming in next year. That's pretty much every year at Kentucky. What matters is what they do in March, and, and this is where in recent years John Calipari has been a failure. Uh, and and, and I'm sure there's some Wildcat fan listening somewhere saying, well, what about this? Or, what, well, what about it? Uh, it doesn't matter that it's been 11 years since a national championship. In, in the last four years, when you throw COVID in there, uh, Kentucky has one, one March win uh, in the tournament, and that, that was uh, – against Providence, and, you know, and when it really matters, uh, they seem to fold, and that's why a lot of Kentucky fans are restless. Uh, John Calipari has a seemingly lifetime contract, but right now, uh, he's nowhere near the top of the best coaches in the SEC. He's, he's not in the top quarter of that right now. Speaking of Calipari, and I'll kind of slash, I, I kind of connect Rick Pitino to him, even though they're not the best of buddies and things like that. Are you surprised to see him kind of like, you know, where he was with Louisville and where he is now taking over? And and in the Big East is considered a, a power basketball conference. Rick Pitino is, is really the P.T. Barnum of, of college basketball. He just keeps reinventing himself. And when asked about the past, he, he says none of it was true. Uh, and, you know, if you scrape away all the sleaze, Lee, he's one of the best basketball coaches in modern history. <laughs> I mean, he, he has two national championships. 
he could easily have four or five. Uh, he made a, an egregious mistake uh, 25 years ago, leaving Kentucky uh, after a national championship and a loss in overtime in the championship game. And he left the cha- national championship team behind for Tubby Smith to win in his first year to go to the Boston Celtics. Turned out to be a disaster. Uh, and, you know, he did well at Louisville other than the obvious, uh, you know, get accused of uh, relations with a, with a woman on a, uh, on a table at, a, at an Italian restaurant. He uh, got in the middle of a, a prostitution scandal, uh, an NCAA scandal. He, he says none of that was true. None of that matters. And he's back. I mean, give him credit. I mean, and by, by the way, he's not just back begging for a job. I mean, he had offers. He could have got a couple of places, and he ended up uh, landing in, in New York where he, he already was and where he's from. All right, speak. You and I have had this conversation many, many times, but I got to ask you. I certainly was. Were you surprised that an athletic director hired Will Wade, still not knowing what the sanctions could be? Now it's at McNeese State. Granted, they're off the radar of top programs, but still, this guy is still facing sanctions, and they hired him. I I don't get it. Well, Lee, uh, and again, uh, I'll try to leave out all the obvious lines about the, the world of college athletics today, but uh, very little surprises me anymore in college athletics. <laughs> and, and I would have thought Will Wade would have been maybe last on the list of, of being able to get a job. But you just mentioned Patino, and, and it's a good job. Uh, you saw the situation the other day in, in, in Oxford. Uh, Bobby Petrino is working. Uh, the only person I think who, is complete, who, who remains unemployed is, is Art Bryles. And I had a friend of Art Bryles call me the other day to ask me when I was going to apologize. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, is, it, never, it never ends. Uh, and, and, and quite frankly, uh, there's, the only thing that athletic directors care about is Making budgets and winning, uh, and if they take a if they take a bad hit on, on opening day, fine. And by the way, I don't even think he did. Uh, I, I think because McNeese is so far off the radar screen, so far from the uh, a media center, that people go, "Oh, okay, great." A couple of tweets about it, and the first and what, what was the first thing that happened? The, the AD immediately announced he was suspended for five games. I guess that was to tell the NCAA that, "Hey, we got this covered." Paul Feinbaum, our guest here on WNSP. Follow him on Twitter, at Feinbaum. All right, we buried the lead here. I've been itching to ask you about this whole Nick Saban-Nate Oates feud. Fact or fiction? Is this reality TV? What's going on here? So uh, you, you, you see the headlines. Was he taking a shot at Nate? And now uh, was it just nothing more than a PR stunt to smooth things over yesterday when Saban was at basketball practice? Well, if you're being realistic, uh, and, and I've watched the tape several times, Mark, uh, this wasn't Nick Saban you know, being caught off guard at a press conference and, and offering a quick line. I mean, he was reading that. I mean, you saw it. He looked down, by my count, three different times. So he, he had some notes. Uh, okay, that's one thing, not, not to turn this into a, uh, a class. Right. Was he, was he aware of uh, what Nate Oates had said a couple of weeks ago? Of course he was. I mean, everybody in, in, everybody who follows college sports was aware of that, especially a guy who's right down the hall. Um, and I don't know if it was a direct shot. I think Nick Saban doesn't, isn't interested in grievance. He's interested in himself and his program. And I, I just think he, he decided, I'm going to make a stand here, and, and I can't tell you uh, whether subliminally uh, he was trying to say, 
they screwed things up over there, but we're not going to. But he took it upon himself and, 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 and give Nick Saban all the credit in the world. It's the biggest win he has had uh, in, in more than a year because everybody in the media praising Nick Saban, uh, USA Today, this is the way it's supposed to be done, shot across the bow. And, of course, Nick Saban, the one thing you knew about quickly, uh, Mark, he didn't push back. Uh, if, if it had been inadvertent, you know his minions would have called you and others and said, hey, listen, that, he didn't mean that. You didn't get that. So what did Nick Saban do? What Nick Saban always does. Uh, grab, 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 the, grab the spotlight the next day by dropping by practice. Uh, it was brilliant. I mean, I don't think he was all planned out. Uh, but I, I have to say that Nick Saban has had a great week. Uh, is it at Nate Oates' expense? Of course it is. But, but nobody is going to change their mind about how they feel about how Nate Oates handled the Brandon Miller story. So that's really not a debatable issue. The only thing debatable is what was in the mind of Nick Saban. And when you can uh, answer that question for me, please, please call me any time of the day. <laughs> Paul, Paul, let me uh, ask you about this. And Okay, so... You know, Nick Saban comes out. Now, remember, he had a player that was charged, arrested and charged, Brent, uh, whereas Nate Oates was basically defending a player who was not charged. And it seemed like the national media kind of overlooked that fact. Would you – how do you feel about that? Lee, you have discovered the brilliance of what Nick Saban did. Nobody is saying, what kind of players is Nick Saban recruiting in Alabama? Nobody is saying, where did he find this guy? Nobody is saying, what a, what a, what a stain on the program that you got a guy with all the things that this player uh, was, is, is being accused of. And, and that's really the brilliance of what I think he has done here. He's got so much capital stored in the bank that when Nick Saban does what most college coaches don't do, uh, and offer what used to be just blanket cover for what's right and wrong. He gets praised, and and I, I think I think I think the the, the connect the, the connect the dots to Oates has been overdone by the national media. They just, they just want a, a, one more pound of flesh from from Nate Oates, so they they decide to prop Nick Saban up as opposed to a, asking the question, what kind of program do you have? And I don't mean that because I don't think Nick Saban has a bad program, but. Uh, the lead has been buried here, and that's the genius of Nick Saban's week. Uh, as we sit here and we talk about Nate Oates and Brandon Miller, uh, we had Ryan Phillips on at the Tuscaloosa Patch. I know you did too. I'm curious to get your take on how that has impacted the narrative or and, and, and I guess why it took so long for that narrative to kind of come out. It's a great, uh, it's a great dilemma that I don't think is any, is easy to explain. Uh, I mean, I think what's happening in Tuscaloosa is that the narrative has changed fairly significantly in two months and, and a week. Now, considering we didn't know about most of this until a month ago, it's really, I guess it's really not that long a period of time. What what Ryan did was was just was was, was get deep into the weeds and and, and, and do as, as good a job as anybody has done to this point in explaining what really went down that night and the fact that there, there's a lot of reasonable doubt about what happened and uh, you know wh- wh- who fired the first shot and why why did this incident occur but but Mark you understand the national media very well you write about it every single day 
none of this is going to change uh, the next two weeks. And, and what we're really talking about, and I, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, the facts are going to come out in court. Okay. When, the, when, this trial, when this case finally goes to trial, whenever it is, in six months or nine months or a year or two years, do you think we're going to be talking about it on your show and other right. shows? No. Yeah. Because it's not going to be involving Brandon Miller. It's not going to be involving Alabama trying to win a national championship with a player that many don't think should have been playing. Uh, it's going to be another uh, terrible tragedy story that's, that's primarily a local story, and it will make one line on, on, on SportsCenter. So it won't matter as much, uh, and, and, and I think that's really the most important thing to remember. What, what, what Ryan was talking about the other day is, is an important story in Tuscaloosa, but it, but it won't matter much beyond, beyond the, the, the county line uh, once they cut the nets down a week from Monday night. Never short any uh, storylines, as always, Paul. So uh, we appreciate the time, as always, and uh, let's do it again next week. What do you say? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yep, that's Paul Feinbaum. Uh, I will say this. Uh, he, uh, The PR people, after Nick Saban made that comment at that press conference, the PR guy did come out right after he was done talking and told the gathered media, According to reports, according to guys that were there and said that was in no way a direct shot. So, you know, Paul had mentioned that, you know, you hadn't heard from anybody over there saying it wasn't a direct shot or they didn't come out and correct. Well, they actually did. Um, I don't know if that. I don't know if that's nothing more than damage control or they really knew he wasn't meaning meaning to do it either way. Point of clarification. Scoreboard traffic and weather are next. Uh, we got some Jag baseball tickets to give away. Mike Dettelier will be along to talk some NFL and free agency coming up in this hour. And then in hour number three, Justin Ferguson on Auburn at 8 and Mike Rodak, my colleague over at AL.com, at 8.30 on Alabama. So plenty left here on a Thursday edition. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Look at them Jaguars, look at them Jaguars, love the way they play that game. Look at them Jaguars, scoring them home runs, the Sunbelt's gonna be their fame. You know, they might have to recut this if they ever jump from the Sunbelt one day with all this conference realignment. We'll never be able to use the song again. I know. Well, we'll just dub it. We'll, we'll dub over it. Do you know, though, when I began covering the Jags in the Sunbelt, every team has left. They're the only team remaining. This was back, what, 1980? You know, the other thing, too, is you know it's a good song when you start with a whisper. You know it's just going to be a hopping tune. Do you think it's a good song? I've heard people say when you start with harmonica, when the guy's got the harmonica playing too. Are you into that? Am I in the harmonicas? I, I can't say that I am, but uh, I'm not against a, har- a good harmonica, I guess. I guess. I guess. I guess. All right. What I'm going to do is give away two tickets for the Jags Friday night game against Louisiana and come right back with two tickets for Saturday's game. So you get four tickets in all, two for Friday night, two for Saturday. 
Jags' biggest rival in baseball is Louisiana. Question, all you have to do is call Nick and tell him who is the all-time single-season leader for the Jags in stolen bases. Name the Jag who's got the most stolen bases in one year. It's a very easy question if you think about it. And, I mean, he had an unbelievable amount of stolen bases. It's not even close. And if you can name that individual, you get four tickets, two for Friday, two for Saturday. Uh, Mark Cuban, we, we talked about at the beginning of our show. Uh, and, of course, you can react to Paul and all the save and stuff as, uh, as usual. But um, Mark Cuban goes on Twitter last night and says it's the worst call in NBA history. I'm, I think that's – I don't know if those were exact words, but that was the message he was well, sent. Well, he's, he's not – I wouldn't say he goes back to the 50s and late 40s. But well, I, I would argue but that Mark, it's not even, it wasn't even a bad call. It was, yeah. it was, it was bad, maybe, maybe mad, bad communication. But even then, I think by the letter of the law, the officials did everything right. They made the call. They said whose ball it was. There was a timeout. Then they motioned to who would call the timeout. His Mavericks team didn't see both of those motions, just saw who called the timeout, thought that was who got the ball. For those that didn't see it, they come back on the court, and one team's on one side of the court, one team's on the other. Referee hands the ball. They get an easy dunk. I understand his concern because right now all these teams are in a dogfight, separated by a game or two, jockeying for playoff position. But can you ever remember an owner who has done some of the aggressive things he has done during game than Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban actually came to press table during the game. That I mean, he gets out, he jumps out of his seat. A lot of owners are up there in the 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 the, the the expensive seats, you know, whining and dining people, and they got these suites and all that. But I was trying to think of any owner, Jerry Jones, but he's never come out on the field that I can think of, you know, he's, he's, he's very out there and he's got his own show and all that. But Mark Cuban may be the one owner who has, he's gotten technicals, I think during games, this goes way back. He's been kind of quiet lately. So, you know, he, he had a history of getting a lot of fines and things like that for saying stuff about the officiating. But yesterday is the first time I can remember this year where he's actually come to the press row and was really, really, really upset, you know, more so than ever. Uh, But he's, He's a very active owner. I don't know many others that are like him. No, I I love him. By the way, Frank, congratulations. You're the winner. You got the answer to, to Lee's question. Lance Johnson, 89 stolen bases, 1984. No, I, I want I want an owner in jeans and a t-shirt screaming at referees, right? Like he's he, he gives the impression that he wants to win and he's not just there owning this team to make money, right? Like he's a fan. He 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 is he's fanatical about his team winning. And so while I think his tweet is way off base last night, I love the fact that he's like he's every one of us. That was the worst call ever. Well, it's it's an NBA game in 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 late March and you're talking about a third quarter call. Like, but I love that about him. How about would you put George Steinbrenner in the same Breath, uh, Jerry Jones. Steinbrenner was always dressed up, though, in a tie and jacket, not in the jeans as a Cuban. But, you know, he was criticized a lot, Mark, but he was like a fan. He just wanted to win, and he spent money trying to win. Yeah, he but made... that, was the, that was the difference, though, I thought. He would always, like, 
as a fan, I can't throw money at my fan problems and fix it. That's what he did, though. That, so he's a well, little bit different. He's a little bit different. He, he didn't charge on the field. And but Jerry did, Jones is but out there. Ha- but he did have a phone in the dugout. Yeah. And oftentimes would call the manager, especially if it was Billy Martin. Yeah, and then Jerry Jones is just playing fantasy football with the Dallas Cowboys. That's all he's doing. All right, Mike Dettelier is next. Stay with us. We'll talk some NFL. Saint, uh, I felt at home, and uh, I just thank the city of New Orleans for welcoming us, and the organization for welcoming, you know, my, myself, my wife, my family, uh, you know, to y'all city. There you go. I don't think that needs any explanation. Also, although I think he said like the singular of New Orleans uh, the first time, New, New Orleans, but he he he, uh, he rebounded nicely there. But that was uh, Derek Carr, obviously. Let's talk to Mike Dettelier. Uh, M&D draft report covers the draft. Obviously, Saints pre-post covers LSU, covers everything we need to know about uh, sports in New Orleans. Mike, good morning. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. We've let things play out to this point so we could get you on. So on paper, are the Saints that much better a team today than they were when the season ended? They're a better team today than when the season ended. You have some stability at quarterback that you you haven't had for two years on this football team. And so uh, with Derek, he brings you consistency, availability. He's rarely missed a game in the NFL. And um, something I always measure a quarterback by, how many wins can he get you in the fourth quarter? Derek Carr has more fourth-quarter comeback wins since entering the league than any other player quarterback-wise in the NFL. Yeah, you're better off today. Are you better off on the defense? Well, defensively, that's still a question mark for me at defensive tackle. It was the one area defensively they didn't do as well as they've had the last few years. And that's stopping the run. And the first half of the season, this team got gashed by some teams rushing the football. They did a better job in the second half. So that was some disappointment uh, with David Onyemata, who you know they had a lot of high expectations for. And I still think a lot of as a player. He's in Atlanta. So bringing in uh, Kalen Saunders uh, from Kansas City and Nathan Shepard, uh, you, you sort of filled that void. But this team still needs to use one of their top two draft choices on a defensive tackle to shore up that defensive line. Where do you think they go with their first pick? I've always felt it would be a big man either along the offensive line or on defensive line. And as I just pointed out, a defensive tackle uh, is a spot for them. But they have talked about getting better pressure uh, up the middle. 
at defensive tackle. So I think either offensive line or defensive tackle, um, the wild card would be a tight end. Uh, I do know that, you know, they, they had expectations to sign Foster Morrow. And then certainly yesterday the news broke about, you know, him having a cancer battle. And so, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with Foster, who's a New Orleans guy, went to Jesuit, LSU. I, I think could have been a guy that helped you out as a run blocker, and he's a solid receiver. But, you know, his health issue came up. That's a still a, a wild card area. And if the right tight end's there, uh, I would certainly take a look at it. This is the best tight end group I've graded in my 36 years, top to bottom. By the way, I, I, as you looked at M&D draft report, who do you have Carolina taking first? C.J. Stroud. He wouldn't be my pick, but that's who I have him taken. I would go with Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is the most ready quarterback from college to the NFL. He's poised. He's super smart. He's accurate. And I've seen very few guys that have that ability to put the ball between arms and hands downfield, tight window throws. He's got it. And so we at Manning Camp last year, we watching Bryce throw the football to receivers he's never thrown to before. It's not like he brought his receivers from Alabama to Manning. He was thrown to receivers that went to Tulane and LSU and Southeastern and Nickel State and Louisiana Lafayette. I watched him in a session where he threw about 40 passes. The ball touched the ground once, and that was because the receiver dropped it. So Archie Manning and I are sitting on a golf court, and Archie looks at me and he says, Mike, you know who he reminds me of? He's a new-age version of Fran Tarkenton. And I thought Archie gave him the best comp that you could put it. Because he has a lot of similarities. And I saw Fran, you know, growing up uh, with, I should say, both the Giants and the Vikings. But I think that's a great comp for him. Fran wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't necessarily a runner. He was more of a scrambler. But he had that ability to put the ball through arms, hands, tight window throws, and he just finds a way to get it done. And that's a big moccasins for Alabama to lose. But I think he ends up with the Houston Texans. I think uh, Carolina is going to end up with C.J. Stroud. All right, let me ask you this. We had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> Do you think Cam Newton – is wearing a NFL uniform this fall? If he has the mindset that he could be a backup quarterback in the NFL, yes. Now, for some starters, or guys that have been starters in the NFL in the past, they have some difficulties of being the backup and not being the guy can't tell me that there are 64 better quarterbacks in the NFL today than Cam Newton. 
but he would have to come into the league as your number two guy. He has to understand his role today. I think father time injuries have taken some of the specialness away from Cam. He was never this super accurate quarterback throwing the football anyway, but he was a rare athlete that could make plays with both his arm and also with his legs. And I would build a package near um, short yardage goal line situations where Cam would play a role in that. So if he thinks that he could handle being the number two quarterback in the NFL, you better believe it. He's got a role uh, on an NFL team, but he couldn't come in as your number one guy. He'd have to be your backup, and then you one play away from being the starter. Do you expect much from Michael Thomas this year? Tell me if he's healthy, and then I can give you that answer. (laughs) Anybody who watched him play last year in those few games and come out and say, Michael Thomas can't play? you kidding yourself. Michael Thomas was dominant in the games he played. The problem is, in three years, he's only played in ten games. I can't tell you about the health issue uh, with Mike. And the, it's been the ankle twice. Then it was the toe situation a year ago. But, uh, man, we watched him in practice, guys. He was, he was dominant every time he got on the field. And then against Atlanta early last year, he was spinning the Falcons cornerbacks around. He's a rare talent because he really is one of the elite receivers in the NFL. Still today, the issue is health. Can he stay healthy? Okay, we're in a 17-game season today. If, even for double digits, I have no idea. But I do know when watching him, he's still one of the best wideouts in the NFL. All right, so uh, he Lee Shervanian over here asked you if Cam Newton was going to be in an NFL uniform next year. What about Alvin Kamara? Is he going to be in a uniform at all next season? I think he will, um, Mark. I'm just not sure how long the suspension's going to be. Uh, is it going to be six games, eight games, maybe more? I do think he plays in 2023, but we've all seen in the NFL, when it comes down to dealings with the Saints, uh, the NFL has been a little harsh with them. So I do expect Alvin's going to miss a considerable chunk of the 2023 season. It's why they went get Jamal Williams. And it's why they're going to use an early-round pick on a running back. They know he's going to miss anywhere from 6 to 10 games in 2023. Hey, Mike, uh, good to catch up with you. It's been far too long, man. We really do appreciate it. How can everybody get the uh, the latest on all things Saints? Uh, SaintsReport.com uh, off of the SI uh, reports also and on WWL.com. Be good, Mike. Hope you have a great weekend, man. Thank you. 
All right, guys, y'all take care. Thank you. That's well, Mike to tell you. Certainly, uh, Saint fans are hoping that they're the team of the day next year. But I got the team of the day today. Every Thursday on WNSP, we thank Bachelor Service. They've been in business for well over 50 years. They're the Daikin Comfort Pros, the largest maker of air conditioners in the world. They do have the $79 tune-up special where they come to the home and service their heating and air conditioning system. You can get in touch with Bachelor Service at 476-4321 or visit them at bachelorsservice.com. They offer plumbing services. They have in-house generators in stock. And they offer energy savings maintenance agreements for heating air conditioning, and generators. That's Bachelor Service. Appreciate them as the WNSP Thursday Team of the Day. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We'll come back and wrap up our number two. You guys can jump in, 694-1055. Mark Cuban says it was the worst call in NBA history last night. Nick Saban shows up to the basketball practice to wish them well, assuming that's what he was doing since no statement was made. So where do you stand on that? Was that Nick just being Nick? Or is there a conspiracy theory here that PR made him go to smooth things over for a comment he made that allegedly was directed at Nate Oates in the basketball program? Man, it's like reality TV in Tuscaloosa these days. You can get in on all of it. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to... Seven forty-eight, nine, seven forty-nine. Time flies when you're having fun, Shervanian. Welcome back in. We're wrapping up our number two. This coming uh, Friday, which is tomorrow. That is indeed the Dr. Tomorrow. Christopher Mullenix, uh championship drive is going to take Mark and I and Matt out to Spanish Fort. Dr. Mullenix is located at seven fifteen downtown or Boulevard. His team at Mobile Oral and Facial Surgery to provide facial trauma, knocked out teeth, wisdom teeth, dental implants, jaw surgery. It goes on and on. If you want to make an appointment or need to, give them a call at 471-3381. You do not need a referral. Just give them a call. Uh, based on my experience, I know that Dr. Mullenix, they do surgery in the morning, but in the afternoon, you can get an appointment, especially on a day of emergency. Normally, if things work out, they can take you in. He's got two other outstanding oral surgeons available, and Dr. Wallander and Dr. Babston. And again, I emphasize no referral needed, same-day appointments available. We appreciate them coming on as our title sponsor for the championship drive. All right, uh, here we go, boys and girls. 694-1055 is the number. Uh, in the app, nobody makes Nick Saban do anything. The snake was unhappy with Nate Oates. He would have talked to Nate Oates, not the media. I kind of disagree a little bit. I think, and I can only go on what I've read, Mark, there, there is one person that can tell him 
and that's in the same household. Yes. That's that's my conclusion. I don't think anybody at the university has the power or they ha- they have the they can say what they want, but I don't think Nick is is going to uh you go up to him and say, "Hey, you're going to do this or that." But I do think there's somebody he lives with who could get it done. Yeah. Uh I said when it happened, I didn't think that Nick Saban. Now Paul seems to disagree a little bit. Paul feels like uh, Nick knew exactly what he was saying because he wrote it down and that obviously Nick knew what Nate Oates had mentioned or else he wouldn't have used those same words. I'm not so sold on that. I I really, I don't, I don't think Nick Saban is as clued in on the nuances of every story like we are because we talk about it. Uh, every day. I do you think Nick Saban walked in knowing? All right, I'm gonna say there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time, because that's exactly the opposite of what Nate Oates said. I think he's clued into what's going on. How could you not be? It's such a huge story nationwide in, in Tuscaloosa. He's got people who who are that's what they're there for, Mark. People around him who clue him in if he isn't clued in. People who uh, keep him abreast of what's going on and brief him before he goes into the news conferences. It's a great question. It's it's like I don't I don't know if any of us will ever get an answer unless we ever sat down with him one on one and just ask him. But I know he's briefed. I know he's he goes in there with an agenda, and I know he goes in there with so, messages. So then, if that were a case, let's let's say that's exactly what happened. Like he was just going after Nate and the basketball, or or e- either or or he was. He was kind of laying down the law as this is policy at the University of Alabama, regardless of sport. Maybe he was just maybe that was more the it just comes off as being a shot at Nate. But either either way, would wouldn't that lend itself more to the idea that Saban was at the basketball practice more as a photo op PR stunt than it was that he was really genuinely going in there to say, hey, yes. good luck, guys. Yes. Are you more? Are, do you feel like it was more of a PR stunt at this point? Yes. Wow. Why, why would he like? As you said, he's so preoccupied with his own spring practice and everything. It might just you just think you could call up Nick and say, "Hey, you know, come on over and watch me practice, or come over and talk to the team." No, I mean, but obviously there had to be something more to it. Maybe that was it. Maybe you're onto something there. But again, I, I I pull back a little bit, and Paul mentioned this that you know Nick Saban is getting a lot of praise. Look. Nick's been criticized in the past for dealing with players. You yeah, know that. Sure. There have been players that have come and gone. I can go back to when he first took over. I can't remember names and things like that. He brought in a player from Georgia. That didn't go well. I don't remember the guy's name. Um, and it's vaguely starting to come to me now where th- this guy had a bad reputation at Georgia. So, look, he's gone through this before with players. We had that incident. And I, I names escape me, Mark, in uh, Louisiana. He had an incident with a player, one of his players uh, who was from Louisiana. So, but, you know, the national media can do whatever they want, and they're going to, okay? And and they made, as Paul said, they made Nick uh, appear to be the the spokesperson for the university condemning what went on with the basketball program. But keep in mind this, and look, I'm I'm not trying to tell you to take sides or anything like that. Nick suspended a player who was charged. He was arrested and charged, all right? He suspended him. Nate Oates' player was not charged. We've talked about this at length. 
uh, that Brandon Miller and Bradley, they were not charged. So there is a difference there. All right. Uh, and again, you can draw your own conclusions on this. Mark and I have spent a lot of time on this story. We've got, you know, new we had, the, as you mentioned, Ryan Phillips came on this week with kind of some new information uh, based on video and things like that. So, and, and again, I don't think Nate Oates makes the final decision either, Mark. I think, you know, he, he goes to the AD. They've got other people there they talk to. It wasn't, I don't think it was an arbitrary decision by Nate Oates either to suspend or not suspend. I think he had some input on this too. Uh, by the way, I think Jonathan Taylor was the guy you were trying to think of. I think the that's guy a, yeah, I remember the Jonathan. Georgia, the I couldn't, I couldn't remember. Player. How about yeah. the one in Louisiana? Was that one of his players, too? Remember when they had that gun incident? This goes back a ways. So uh, there was an incident in Louisiana uh, with one of his players that drew a lot of criticism. And I believe... I believe that became a national talking point when he was on with Paul Feinbaum. They got into it. Um... So Nick's had his run-ins with players, incidents too, about whether to suspend him or not, whether to do this or that. So it, Cam Robinson was involved with that's, a that's it with a weapons charge that's thing. It. Yes, thanks, yeah. thanks. You're good at this. Well, you know, my middle name is Google after all. Uh, Mark Google. Yeah, it's a little known fact. You don't have a name, middle name. I no, have my you middle got name. My is name. <laughs> you, you know what? I'm glad yours is Google and mine's not. Yeah. Um, the the other story we've been tackling is in the NBA, and you can get in on any of it at six nine four one zero five five. Mark Cuban, just mass confusion last night in the Mavericks Golden State Warriors game. He called it the worst call in NBA history, which is saying something because we've seen some really bad calls. I can assure you this was not the worst call this, in NBA history. And I mentioned there's a local angle to this. The official in charge who made statements after the game. Uh, is from Mobile. He played at Davidson, and he was a member of the Spring Hill basketball team. And, Mark, he was a darn good player. I don't know if you remember him, but uh, he was uh, Sean Wright. And he was uh, the one that was quoted after after the game and saying that he felt the officials made did the right thing. All right, so here's what happened for those that didn't see it, right? So the Mavs and the Golden State Warriors are playing. Ball goes out on the Warriors, the referee called it out on the Warriors and then did his little motion and all that. But as soon as that happened, Dallas called timeout. So he went. He, so he waves to the, I guess, to the scores table, lets you know whose ball it is. Then he, as soon as he does that, he then turns around to the scores table and does all the motions for the timeout for the Mavs. Well, not everybody saw the first motion. Every a lot of them saw the second. So Dallas thought it was their ball. So they coming out of the timeout, they go set up on offense. Golden State goes to set up on offense. The referee hands Golden State the ball. They inbound it. They get an easy layup, and there's no war, there's no Maverick playing defense at all. And so there's mass confusion. And so the question now becomes: Should the official have told the Warriors after the fact? Or should they have stopped the game and said, whoa, whoa, whoa something's not right? That, wh wh why do I have five guys on one side and five guys on the other? Clearly not everybody's on the same page. I don't think they're required to. They're not. But would it – okay, you're right. They are not required. But would it – It certainly would have gone would it a long have been, way. Yeah. Would it have been – okay – it's like when you help an opponent up or something like that. Would it have been the nice thing to do, the morally correct thing to do, even though you're not required to? Right. Because that's happened to me 
We, I, I've been in a game where the other team got the ball and we thought it was our ball, and and they just handed it to them. But were you guys out of position though? Like oh that? yeah, they got an easy layup. What did happen? Oh to you? yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was in a throwaway summer game. But yeah, but does it matter still? I mean, right. Yeah, and, and and if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about it'd be like a layup drill for Dallas because there's nobody there to defend, and Looney uh, goes in for Golden State and dunks it and the golden state i'm sorry dallas players they're on the other side of the court they're on the other side of the uh, midcourt what mark cuban is saying is that the ref called maverick's ball and then the the announcer announced that it was maverick's ball so that's where the confusion is but it's being reported that the official actually called uh golden state i think it would have been a nice gesture Good sports. Why? I can't say that because that's not fair to say either. But it, it would have been a nice gesture if they really went the extra mile and said, look, uh, you guys know it's their ball. But like I said, they are not required to do that. That's not their job to tell the coaches where to stand out on the floor. All right. We'll get back to it. Justin Ferguson talks some Auburn next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. And just like that, we're back here on our number three, the opening kickoff. Thanks for hanging with us on this Thursday edition. Mark and Lee in the studios of WNSP. Are we ready to talk some Auburn sports with uh, Justin Ferguson? Indeed we are, sir. The uh, Auburn uh, Observer. Good morning, Justin. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful. Uh, we just want to get a kind of an update of what's going on uh, on the on the plains with the uh, the Auburn practices. I think they're about halfway done. Aren't they getting close to a scrimmage uh, tomorrow or on the weekend? Yes, they'll, they'll scrimmage tomorrow uh, for the first really for the first time. Last week they did a, a, a pseudo scrimmage. It was kind of more just doing some team stuff, some extra team stuff, some extra situational stuff. Uh, than anything else. Um, so you're going to get an actual scrimmage with officials and all that on Friday. Uh, and so that'll be a big one. Uh, it's about the halfway point. Yesterday was practice number eight out of 15 uh, for, for Auburn. So um, it's, a, it's, it's a big time here to kind of, you know, see how far they've come and how much they've progressed here in, the, in these first few weeks. And, uh, you know, as you pre-said earlier in the week, Auburn's got a lot of work to do um, here you know, over these next few weeks to get to where they feel like they need to be, especially when it comes to the quarterback position, the passing game in general, and just get just the offense kind of installing what they need to. So what are you gathering from the passing game right now? Uh, the quarterbacks are, are, you know, working hard. They're trying hard, but it's just not where they need to be right now in terms of, you know, kind of installing everything. You know, Euphreeze has been talking about kind of the decision-making on, like, RPOs and, and stuff like that and how you know they wish they were further along with their quarterbacks at this point so it's a lot that they're throwing at them this is a new system uh you gotta keep in mind like for tj finley and, and robbie ashford and holden garner those three guys you know been playing in a system that was very different than the one that they're, they've got right now so it's, it's been a pretty big change and 
Um, you know, Freeze has been pretty blunt about it that he just wishes they were kind of further along. Wide receivers, you know, they've got some good pieces out there. Cantor Brown's having a great uh, spring practice, as, as a lot of people expected. You know, Nick Morner, um, the, the Cincinnati transfers, uh, done a lot here. And, and you got, like, Javarius Johnson, uh, who continues to be an impressive player, Corey Moore. Um, but, you know, from top to bottom, that wide receiver position, they're dealing with with injuries, uh, just guys having, like, little nagging stuff. And, and, you know, it's limiting them from, you know, going kind of full speed in practices. And so that's kind of been a, a, an issue for them. So, yeah, it's just this this passing game. Um, just you know, it's a, it's a major work in progress, and you know Auburn really struggled to throw the ball last season uh, on a consistent basis, and now they're trying to do it with a brand new system and a brand new um, you know kind of coaching staff. Um, and so it's it, it's not where they want it to be, um, you know. But I do think this week was going to be a pretty critical one for them to see how much progress they made and how much. Um, you know they can they can kind of take strides and steps forward because uh, you know Free said that they they were going to have to start changing some things up in the way that they coach it, the way they teach some things, uh, just because they feel like they need to do a better job of of maximizing what they've got uh, with the talent they have right now. We're talking with Justin Ferguson, so let me ask you: Will you get to see any of the scrimmage at all? Yeah, not the scrimmage this time. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of practice here these last, last few weeks, um, you know, about an hour um, when we go out there, which has been really good, getting a lot of access, talking to players and stuff. But not the scrimmage, uh, you know, the, the, towards the end of the week, we haven't gotten as much uh, availability. So, uh, but looking forward to kind of kind of getting to know what we, what we hear um, and what we can find out about that scrimmage. Um, you know, over the weekend, but so, uh, you know, maybe when we get closer, maybe the next scrimmage or maybe closer towards the end that we might get to see a little bit of it, but uh, for this first scrimmage, they're doing it behind closed doors. All right, I got to throw you one Cam Newton question from Pro Day because we haven't had a chance to talk to you about that. How, how, what kind of a different feel was that Pro Day because Cam Newton was on campus? Yeah, I mean, it was, it obviously commanded a lot more attention. Um, you know, it was it was interesting to see Cam kind of be back uh, at Auburn, and you know I thought it was kind of fitting as I wrote earlier this week that you know if Auburn's going to have if he's going to make a comeback if he's going to you know play any more football less competitively it was it was very fitting that he came back and and, and made that kind of run here at Auburn again trying to get that going. It, it's tough for those guys to get back in the league after you spend a year away, um, but I mean he's still got a pretty powerful arm. Um, you know he's still. Um, it's proven that he just, you know, wasn't kind of just sitting on the couch this past year, and so um, it, it brought a different dynamic. Um, I think it helped some some the guys, a couple guys he was throwing to. Um, you know, Shady Jackson had a great day, uh, tested really, really well, and I thought it looked good on the on field. So I think having Cam out there uh, got some more eyeballs on him. Um, but you know, it, it was a, it was a really interesting in day, and you know, um, Cam. You know, did this too. You know, he was asked by his younger brother Kalen, who who played here, uh, to help him out and throw for him because Auburn didn't have a quarterback in this in this draft class. Um, so, you know, it was it was mostly to help out his little brother, but he also knew that he had a captive audience of 32 NFL teams, and you know, wanted to go out there and see, hey, if I got another shot to to make a team, uh, maybe this will wake up somebody up and get somebody's attention. So, uh, it, it was a really it was a really interesting day for sure. Justin, can't thank you enough for jumping aboard. Tell everybody how they can uh, continue to follow your coverage of all things Auburn. 
Yeah, allobserver.com. Check it out. There's a lot of uh, stuff on there this week about spring football. We've got some basketball stuff as well. Mailbag tomorrow podcast. Got a ton of stuff. So Auburn football and men's basketball, if you want a lot of analysis uh, from our newsletters and our podcasts, and they get emailed to your inbox pretty much every single day of the week. Go to auburnobserver.com. Sign up. It's just $40 for your first year. Uh, we're running that special through the end of eight-day weekend, so you got a couple weeks to jump on board with that. Thanks, Justin. Hey, have a great weekend, man. We'll be in touch. Absolutely. Y'all too. All right, we got some time. You want to jump in on the conversation? Six nine four one zero five five. That's the number. So, if you were going to protest a game as Mark Cuban, and yet you've had the official, you had Sean Wright, the lead official, say that there was no mistake. They weren't apologizing at all, but you had officials that came out and blatantly said, we made a mistake at the end of the Hawks game. We should have called a foul on Torian Prince and given Atlanta, I guess, a chance to win the game in the final second. And nobody's protesting that game. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, in other words, what I'm saying, do you, let's face it, to, to protest a game and, and for that to be successful, it's very, very rare. Right. Very rare. But, if the officials after a game admit a mistake, yeah. should there be some grounds? I don't know how you're going to go back and replay the but game. It, so, no. I, uh, well, here's the problem, though, with, with calls and officiating and making calls or not making calls. Is it a mistake if you miss one? If you miss one, then you didn't see it, right? If you blatantly saw it but didn't want to blow the whistle because it's the end of the game, you're just going to let the guys play? If you're one of those guys, I mean, is that, I mean, you're getting to you're getting to the weeds here. It's a real gray area. Now, could Mark Cuban argue like they didn't follow proper procedure with somehow telling each team whose ball it was and all that? You might have might have a better chance of getting through. But could you imagine every time there was a missed call, somebody, you know. Pro- protesting so like what happened never you, no game would ever stand yeah you're right but what happened i i admit i even though i don't think this will go through it would be quite a story if it was upheld i guess i'll ask both you and nick what happens if it is upheld do they replay the game what do they do do they re- oh if they protest and it was a successful protest what do you do then I don't know. I, I, I it's would been assume. so rare i i don't i don't one time in 40 years and i don't remember when that happened uh what what do you do? Do you replay I'm not a game? Mistaken, which I very well may be. I'm pretty sure they resume it from that moment, right? From the inbound pass. So they have to play the whole fourth quarter. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Well, I mean, they're not going to run back the entire game. No, no. But to run back a whole quarter in a minute and or is it like a minute and fifty or whatever in the third quarter or whatever it is. Well, what else would they do? I'm pretty sure they did that in Houston a couple years ago. Maybe Houston, San Antonio? Or I could just be uh, making stuff up. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> Sometimes you'd be doing that. That's a, Yeah, that's a common uh, problem I have in my life. Um, In the app, Cuban is a crybaby. He realized that he was wasting his money on Kyrie, got beat by a trash Warriors road team, and needs... But the reason they lost to the Warriors was because Draymond Green had a master class last night and showed why he is a top five defensive player in NBA history. (laughs) That's why they lost. 
Do you think we'll ever get to the point where when you make take when you have a stance on something that I'm not laughing at you? Mm. It's just so extreme. It's How always extreme. Like, it's just always extreme with you. All right, let me throw uh, some stuff at you. Okay, talking about protests, November eighth, nineteen seventy eight, Nets versus Philadelphia. Uh, Richie Powers called three technical fouls on Nets head coach Kevin Lockery, <laughs> who I knew Kevin pretty well. Uh, not very well, but I mean, I had talked to him. Exceedingly limited, too. The final 17 minutes, 50 seconds of the game, which also featured guys like Phil Jackson, Julius Irving, Bernard King, was replayed. They replayed the final 17 minutes and 50 seconds. But the fun part of this was the teams actually made a trade with each other between the original game and the replay. So because of this, one, two, three, four, three guys wound up playing for the other team That's in crazy. this replay. So why was it? It was it was replayed because the guy picked up three technicals? Yeah, that's what it says here. And he sh- uh, that exceeded the limit of two. Don't ask me why. That part I don't know. I don't understand that. But they actually wound up playing for the other team during the replay of the game now the last time in our in our life well i say in nick's lifetime 2007 miami heat and the Atlanta hawks shaquille o'neal was incorrectly ruled to have six fouls when he had only five the game was resumed on march 8th but no one scored in the final 51.9 seconds that were replayed from overtime so he's right about that. You'd pick it up from where, where so that play somebody was. in the app brought up a good point if dallas thought it was their ball why didn't they have anyone they're trying to inbound the ball. That's what the coach. Well, the coach was drawing up a play on the sideline to inbound it. They did. But, I mean, Jason King, I heard Jason's interview, and he said, I was diagramming a play because I thought the ball was ours. So all of them went to the, other, the wrong side of the court to play offense, but nobody threw the ball in. Like nobody was, unless no, they were going to get it at half court. From the other end. Go. I mean, you don't advance it, so they would have had to go the length of the court. So someone would have had to throw it in. I mean, I don't know if that supersedes the fact that all five of them were on the other end of the court because they thought it was their ball. I'm playing historian here. 1952. Milwaukee Hawks, Philadelphia Warriors. This is one of the protests upheld. They replayed the entire game. Okay, why? Uh, the Hawks had only four eligible players left due to disqualifications, but were incorrectly allowed to bring in a fifth player. They won the game in double overtime, so that protest resulted in the game being completely replayed. And the Warriors won in overtime again. Isn't that amazing? Huh. That, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted what you were saying about, about the ball being inbounded. Can you not tell from the YouTube if there was somebody to inbound from the, had, U, from the YouTube? Well, that's where I saw it. You had to have somebody there because they were drawing up a play for it. <sighs> Let me see. Come on, Mr. Google. I'm beginning to think it would have just been easier for the rush to be like, hey, guys. Just Come on down right, here. Exactly. It's this could have ball. avoided the whole thing. You wouldn't have gotten Mark Cuban so upset. Now he's upset again. And you know what happens when he gets upset? He usually gets fined. All right. We'll continue to talk about it on the other side. You uh, you guys can jump in. Uh, I think you got a little Chick-fil-A for us coming back. All right. So uh, traffic and weather. Are we going to do a scoreboard or not, Lee? Yes.
Okay, there you go. That's yeah. why I asked it's now. Because anytime I make the call, it's sponsored. You, That's uh, why we're doing it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, as you as you wish. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station WNSP. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. All right, 825, Mr. Shervanian, what do the fine folks of Mobile, Baldwin County areas have in store for them in this segment? I want you people to call Nick and tell him which college basketball team made the biggest comeback ever in an NCAA tournament game. This team was down by 25 points and rallied to win. All you have to do is name that team. It happened about, I'm not even going to tell you. It's up to you. I'm not going to give this one away. Just call up and tell Nick the team that had the biggest come-from-behind victory in an NCAA tournament game. All right, and uh, you'll get a little Chick-fil-A compliments of WNSP. We'll talk to Mike Rodak uh, coming up today uh, here in about four or five minutes. Uh, It's pro day today um, at Alabama. Uh, Apparently Bryce is going to throw a little bit. Yes, he's he's actually uh, as I looked at the itinerary, Mark. I think he's last, uh, as you as you would expect, because obviously that's what everybody's going to be there looking for. Hey, good news! I found somebody who would tend to. <laughs> Everybody else up there is going to Louisville, yeah. but Ryan Fowler is going to join us tomorrow during our. Uh, championship drive to tell us how Pro Day went. Yeah, it took a it took a few phone calls to finally found somebody who's attending. You know what he said to me? He said, "Yeah, Lee." He said, "I, I think I'm the only one." He says, I, "I'll get a one on one with Nick Saban." I said, "Good luck on that." Yeah. Uh, so all the pressure's on him to ask about yes. the Nate Oates comment or although the I, Nate Oates situation. Although I don't, I never asked Mike Rodak. I'm not sure if he's going to Louisville or if he's. I think he's going him. to Louisville. He's going to Louisville. Yeah. yeah. To the Yum Yum, to the Yum Yum Arena. I love that name. Yeah. Uh, did we get a winner there, sir? They still working on it? Oh, he's still on the phone. I I'm thinking this could be a stumper. Hmm. Well, you didn't you didn't want, seem to want to give any clues. No, nope, so, no uh, clues. This is every now and then I get it in my mind that you know let's work for this. Work for your Chick Fil A. You're tired of yeah, giving it away? just giving them away too too easily. All right. So if you guys can. Figure that one out. Uh, I want to remind you guys, you mentioned earlier, uh, we are on the road tomorrow for our, our Dr. Chris Romolinex championship drive. We are headed to Spanish Fort um, tomorrow, so we will highlight spring sports at Spanish Fort. And, of course, we'll have another round of the uh, Beef O'Brady uh, Scholar Athletes of the Week. They will all get, uh, those named will get a free meal at the Tillman's Corner uh, location. So our thanks to Todd Weissong. You know, as you went off the air yesterday, you said, you know, I, I learned about Nick having nine years, I think it was nine years of braces. braces yeah. yeah. So I learned from you today that you actually had the same thing happen to you that happened in the Dallas Golden State game. Yeah. That you didn't know that the other team was getting the ball and, and the other team scored a easy basket. Easy basket. Unbelievable. We wanted the buzzer. Um, Say that again. Louder. Louder. You said we wanted the buzzer. Yeah. Tell people that. Uh, Mike Rodak is next. That's what I'm going to tell people.
It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back in. Thanks for making us a part of your morning. It's the opening kickoff. Mark, I'm Ali Shravani. We're broadcasting from the studios of WNSP. And, Lee, we got a winner on your Chick-fil-A. Miguel, congratulations. It was a toughie. Uh, BYU came from 25 down to beat Iona in 2012. I believe that was a playing game, too. So uh, BYU was the answer. And, Miguel, you're a winner. We got Mike Rodak ready to go, your colleague from AL.com. Mike, thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? All right, Mike. You know, I, I consider you the voice of reason. And, you know, we've been batting this thing around all during the week about Nick Saban, the comment about uh, after the suspension, and if, did it apply to Nate Oates in the basketball program? So I, I figured I'd wait till the end of the week after all's been said and done and, and let you just tell us really what was going on there. Did Nick do that on purpose or was it just uh something that happened or and then he winds up going to the basketball team so clarify yeah i I really don't think there's anything there in terms of intent on his part um i mean it was a situation where you know essentially there's prepared talking points for saban um that they give him and one of them was about tony mitchell and the fact that he was suspended um, you know, for the team and suspended from all team activities. And then kind of from there, Saban expounded on it on his own and kind of provided the quote on his own about, uh, you know, there's no such thing at the wrong place at the wrong time, which all of our eyes kind of lit up in the room, um, including the, the SID for Alabama, I think was surprised that he said that. Um, but I don't think Saban really understood the, uh, the meaning behind it, given all the discussion that's you know happened around what Nate Oates said, and that's simply because, and some people might not realize this, like Nick Saban's 71 years old. He doesn't text. He's not on his phone. He's not on Twitter. He doesn't follow any of that stuff. He's very much kind of in his own little bubble. Um, he might get the newspaper and read what's in the newspaper. Um, there might be some people in his family or a couple of his friends that tell him what's kind of being spoken about or, or talked about out there, but. For the most part, he's very insulated. Like he doesn't really, he doesn't consume the same things that we consume uh, as people who listen to sports talk radio and TV and you know read Twitter and all that. So um, I completely believe that he just said that on his own. I think it's something that he kind of said to the team as a message, um, and that might have been Tony Mitchell's excuse. I don't know that as a fact, but it might have been, oh, you know, that's my friend's drugs, that's my friend's gun, et cetera. And I think Saban's message back to him was probably, well, you weren't just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, you obviously made decisions to be in that car, to be driving that car, and for everything to happen. So I think his message is is, is still valid. Um, and you can still juxtapose his message to uh, Nate Oates' message, but you can also point out the differences between the two situations as well, and, and there's a lot of them. So I think a lot is certainly made of it, you know, probably too much, um, but I don't think there's any intent on his part. Uh, all right, so I got a couple questions, Mike. Um, speaking of Twitter, well, unlike Nick, I am on Twitter. I saw a tweet. I don't know who tweeted out, so forgive me, but someone had mentioned on Twitter who was at that press conference or heard from somebody that was at the press conference that an SID rep came out and said there was no connection 
right after Nick left the podium. Is that accurate? Was that true? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of times when he'll come in and just kind of shoot the breeze with us a little bit yeah. um, in terms of, you know, what's out there and what we might be writing, et cetera. And, yeah, my understanding is that's always been kind of off the record. Um, so that's why I didn't tweet it. And I don't know if this was specifically on the record, him saying that. I think it was more just kind of uh, guidance to us. But, um, you know, they really didn't put out an official statement uh, they weren't going to. Um, it's my understanding that if, if Nick Saban's asked about it at his pro day press conference today, he'll he'll give an answer on it. Um, and I'm sure that he'll say that you know there's no intention on his part. And I'm sure that he'll say that he fully supports the basketball team, et cetera. And it will kind of go from there. But um, yeah, there wasn't an on the record denial. Um, but there's you know as always there's sometimes some guidance that's given to us. Yeah. Okay. So then my other question would be: So he goes to the the check out the basketball practice. He shakes hands. There's pictures taken. How much of that is Nick Saban being Nick Saban and just being one big happy family? And there are conspiracy theorists out there who believe that this was just a PR stunt to kind of smooth over any any narratives, accurate or otherwise, that are out there about him taking a shot at Nate Oates. Oh, I, I do actually believe the second part on that one. I, I do think that this was a orchestrated thing where, you know, they know that this storyline is out there and um, they're making sure that they're sending the message in there. And I do, I do think that part is certainly true. Um, you know, whether or not he's visited with the basketball team before or, you know, talked to NATO tonight. You know, I did a story on that three years ago, I think, where, you know, Oates talked about his relationship with Saban and, he tries to go over there sometimes and, and watch their practice. And I don't know how much of that has continued, you know, from year one to year four now for Oates, but um, I, I do think the fact that they had a photographer with them and, um, you know, tweeted it out, I think there's a lot of intentionality on their part um, to kind of send the message. And, you know, that's in, in some ways their job. But, yeah, I, I think that was that was definitely orchestrated. Mike Rodak, AL.com, joining us this morning. So when Nick Saban – talked about the suspension, used that term, there's no such thing. Was there a follow-up question to that or any reference to NATO's? Did anybody come right back and say, hey, look? No, and there's really there's really no opportunity with the way that they structure um, these press conferences and the way it's always been. As long as I've been here, I mean, yes, Eddie walks in, you raise your hand, um, he takes down a list of names, he goes through the list sort of in his own order, and um, you know, you get the microphone to ask a question, you get the microphone back to the intern, and there's really no opportunity for a follow-up. Um, and, you know, I, it's it's one of those things, too, where I don't know if, if uh, you know, everybody kind of has their own question in mind, even after he said that. It wasn't as if all of us were thinking, well, we're going to ask about the, um, the wrong place for our time. I think we all kind of have our own things to ask about, and we get one shot at it, so... I mean, it's not like an NFL press conference that I'm used to covering where you can kind of raise your hand, not even raise your hand. You can just kind of ask your question, and, you know, you can have a back and forth. You can have a follow-up. There's no format like that. It's very controlled. It's very orchestrated the way they do things. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Nick Saban, though, briefed before he goes in by Josh? Yeah, oh, definitely is briefed. Yeah, I think he's made aware of kind of what's out there. You know, there's certain talking points that are provided to him. Um, in this case, again, I don't think, from my understanding, that there's any uh, specific direction to use that quote. Um, you know, there's no such thing in a wrong place at the wrong time. I think that's something that Saban just kind of 
said on his own, again, based off what he was saying to the team um, in the team meeting based off the Tony Mitchell thing. Um, but it, it, I think it would be pretty far off of the radar for Josh to brief Saban on, you know, well, you can't say that because Oates, you know, already said that and got in trouble for it a month ago. Like, I, I just don't think that was really on the radar for them. Mike, what do you think, like, sports journalism and sports talk radio became everything but sports? I mean, I feel like we're in high school. Uh, <laughs> you know, he said this. This is what he really meant. No, this is – we spend – I mean, I'm not – I'm not – I mean, I'm not being critical of anybody. It's just kind of what we've done all week. It's just – it's kind of funny to sit here and talk about this as uh, two grown men having separate conversations, and we're trying to, like – piece together the intent and what was done and it's very reality tv ish yeah and, and you know part of it is just because we're covering things that happened off the court too like if tony mitchell is not arrested we're not having this conversation that you know barry smiles isn't arrested we're not having any of the conversation we've had for the last two months so there's certain off the court things that prompt these situations and then it kind of snowballs from there um but you know, as somebody said to me, like, if Nick Saban truly had an issue with the way Nate Oates was handling something, and I don't even see why that would become his problem. I think, you know, Saban's so focused on football that I don't think he really is too concerned with everything else happening around him. But even if he did, just knowing him, like, I'm sure it would have been handled behind the scenes. Um, just so just the mere fact that he would come out and make it a public thing just didn't really make sense for me from the start. By the way, are you uh, are you going to Louisville or are you staying uh, like for pro day and, and and such today? No, yeah, we're up in Louisville. Um, we got here yesterday, and they have some uh, you know their pregame press conferences coming up here in about two hours. Um, so, kind of all basketball all the time right now. I never thought that pro day would be. You know, taking a back seat, but it is in this case. I'm really surprised they scheduled Pro Day with, with the team going. I mean, anyway, it's none of my business. They can do whatever they want up there, and they're going to anyway. So what's ahead of time? Yeah, it was probably a month or two ago, or at least I'd say two or three months ago that they probably scheduled Pro Day. So I don't think they knew quite at that time. You know, that basketball would be conflicting. So what's the uh, let's say when. They they meet today, press conferences, and we, we all know you're getting different media coming in now, obviously less games, more national attention since there's only four sites. Does the issue surrounding Alabama become a topic today with Nate Oates and the players? It might. Yeah, it, it might. There's there's probably a new group of national media. I already saw that Dana O'Neill from The Athletic is, is going to be here, and she hasn't been she wasn't in Birmingham. Um, but, you know, Pat Forty was in Birmingham, and Dan Wolken and obviously Billy Witts from the New York Times. Um, so they've kind of asked their questions. I don't know if there'll be more on that. And it could could very well be that Nate Oates gets asked about the Saban thing today. And I'm sure I would guarantee you with my life savings that they'll have an answer ready for that one. <laughs> and I would guess that, yeah, I would guess that Oates will say, you know, I misspoke um, when I, or I, I didn't use the right words when I said it the first time about Brandon Miller. And I put out a statement, you know, apologizing for that and coach Saban and I have a great relationship and he came by yesterday and he told me he didn't mean anything by it. like I'm sure they have an answer that Oates is ready to say if he's asked about it today hey by the way uh since you're not there it, pro day is being televised is that, is that accurate it is yeah um I think it's either NFL Network or NFL Now whatever it is these days and then I think SEC Network is going to be there too so I mean, it's always something where I don't think Alabama's scheduling it with the media, you know, 
the local media in mind. I think it's more about NFL scouts and yeah. one is Ohio State's pro day, one is Georgia's pro day. There's going to be a ton of, I think there's like 12 coaches, 13 GMs, something like that. They're going to be there, um, which is, you know, more than normal. There's only a few last year, um, yeah. but obviously you know, Bryce and, and Will are a pretty big attraction. Hey man, we appreciate you spending a little time with us. Uh, as always, uh, enjoy the uh, the basketball. Should be a good one. We'll be in touch. Let's do it again. Before we let you go, tell everybody how they can uh, get uh, the latest and greatest on all things Alabama. Yeah, al.com and uh, on Twitter at Mike Rodak. Hey, uh, we look forward to uh, seeing your work, man. Have a good weekend. Enjoy it. You got it. Thank you. That's Mike Rodak, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, there, there's going to be a lot going on, right? So uh, the, 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 the three reporters that will be at Pro Day. Actually, the funny thing is, is he's right. There will be a lot of national media in Tuscaloosa, f- football media, NFL media for Pro Day, right? Because Bryce is throwing, but most of the Alabama media will be in Louisville for the basketball. So Alabama media, I'm assuming we'll ask Nate about Saban and his visit. I'm hoping at least one person in Tuscaloosa will ask Nick about I think the national media reporters who have not had a chance to talk to Nate Oates are going to delve into this again. I really do. And again, you're getting a different, uh, let's say, a, a new wave of reporters coming in because they may have been at other sites covering games. So obviously when they come in, are they going to spend time talking? Uh, short segment here as we went long talking about fire engines and pickleball and all that good stuff. By the way, there is a fire engine that stopped. It's about a block down. Uh, so uh, we are we are clear. Clear! Did you ever have to cover a fire? Um, I did. I covered not one that was no, not, in the, ago, not in the traditional sense. Yeah, years ago working in New Jersey, I had I was working on a Sunday and you get out usually around 11 o'clock at night. I was looking forward to getting home. Really, I was. I mean, it's, you know, Sunday. And all of a sudden, I get a call. There's a fire. And I forgot the community because we covered like 30 communities. So I had to leave the radio station. It was freezing out there. And go cover a fire at midnight. Well, at least it was warm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that 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 sure made it nice. I didn't get close enough for the uh, the warm part well, of it. Well, that's on you, Shervani. No, I mean, it's I not. mean, you got to make the most no, of the situation. Yeah, firemen, uh, they they kind of try to keep you away from uh, that kind of stuff. But I just remember that one time covering a fire at midnight on a Sunday night, going into Monday morning. How fun was that? Yeah, I can't think of a better way to spend your. It's stuff. not like I was going to do a live report on the station at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, what's uh? Oh, I was gonna ask you what you got going tomorrow, but I already know. You already know. You've been telling me. I've been telling you what we're gonna do. I need to do that more often. Tell you what we're gonna do. Go ahead. Well, not tomorrow, but in most days, I'm just gonna tell you what we're gonna do. I'll try to listen once in a while. It, or, or was that a, was that you being Nick Saban and me being yes, NATO? It's like you were taking absolutely. a shot at me. Yes, I did. Like I don't listen to you. Yeah. Well, I just heard you. I just heard you. And now you I will come over re- and take pictures with your with your team or family. Uh, yeah, we'll be at Spanish I can, Fort. I can take pictures with this. I know. Well, we 
We'll bring it up one day. We'll one talk day. about not, your yeah, not today. Not today. We, but anyway, we always get to the good stuff at we the end. Will, we will actually have a reporter at the Alabama Pro Day today, the one I think that's staying behind. Everybody else up at Louisville will preview uh, Alabama and uh, San Diego State. But then again, we'll also tell you what happened tonight. We've got four games tonight. Actually, two of the better games, I think, tonight, Mark. I, I doubt I'll be able to stay up too late for UCLA and Gonzaga. I think that's a, a great matchup. Maybe, uh, you know, going back to last year when it went overtime, and also the Arkansas-UConn game is one I really want to watch. That's That's the one. one. I have UConn getting to the Final Four, but you know what? It wouldn't bother me at all if Arkansas wins. All right, that does it for another edition of the opening kickoff. Appreciate you guys hanging with us over the last three hours. We're back at it tomorrow at 6 a.m. from Spanish Fort High School. Until then, see ya.